I'm here to help you move from a life of burnout, brokenness, and despair to one that is joy-filled, sustainable, and that you absolutely freaking love. You ready to doctor yourself first today? Dr. Me First. I'm your colleague in medicine and coach in life, Dr. Erin Wiseman. This podcast is all about learning to take care of yourself, your life, and your practice. Are you ready? Today I'm sitting down and talking with one of our colleagues who chose the word wisdom. This is Dr. Jacqueline Chan, and she tells all about her alternative route to medicine and how she continues to be alternative while in medicine. I think you're really going to enjoy this episode and make sure you stick around afterwards for that kick of encouragement. Okay, here we go. Welcome to Dr. Me First, Dr. Chan. It's so nice to have you today. Please introduce yourselves to our listeners. Um, Sure. My name is Dr. Jacqueline Chan, and I was raised in Europe. I moved to Ohio when I was nine years of age, and um, I was a philosophy major in college, and I had no intentions of ever being a doctor. And then I worked at a bank uh, in New York City near Wall Street, and I felt like my soul was dying. And I had always loved anatomy and biology, and I was living with two women who were medical students at the time in New York City. And I was just intimidated. I didn't think I was smart enough or had what it took to be a doctor, but I saw what they were going through, and it was just as intense as what I was doing, trying to get my MBA in finance and working at a top-level bank. And, and um and I, all my, you know, my boyfriend at the time was an MD, PhD, and I was just surrounded by, even when I studied philosophy, most of my friends were doc, you know, studying to be doctors. So I kind of came to this realization that I could do it. I had what it took, and I immediately got into five medical schools. And um, so I started a little later on life, and I had already done a little stint in uh, business. So when I went into medical school, it was a definite yes. Like it was not something that my parents pushed me into, anyone in my family. It was a definite like, this is totally my calling. I tried the other thing and I hated it. Um, And uh, I majored, well, I I, uh, got my residency in family practice as an osteopathic physician and I always liked using my hands. And I had also got licensed in massage therapy while I was going to med school and I was doing massage on the side, you know, getting a little bit of extra cash on the side. And um, I I chose a residency that gave me a lot of flexibility, a lot of elective time, because I I was really interested in alternative medicine at the time or integrative medicine. I, um, I had two parents. My dad was a doctor. He was a psychiatrist. And... He didn't use any medications and he did like drama therapy, group therapy. So he was totally pioneering and avant-garde and almost like controversial. And then my mom was a nurse at the hospital and she would clock in, clock out. She'd get two weeks off a year 
we either had our Thanksgiving or Christmas, but we never had our both holidays. And she worked the late shift at the hospital. So we always kind of did for ourselves at dinner time. My mom was never home at dinner time. And I was kind of raised with these two very different models in medicine. My parents were divorced. Um, but I would go visit my dad in the summer and he'd have the whole summer off, like three months off. And then he would teach workshops in Sweden and Switzerland and do like this really wild trauma therapy stuff. But I didn't think I was gutsy enough to do that. It took a lot of guts and I'm more like, just tell me what to do and I'll do the right thing. And, you know, give me a protocol and all of that. So, um, I kind of went a middle way, you know, so basically I learned about integrative and holistic medicine. And for me, when I went to my first um, holistic medical conference, I felt like, oh my God, I'm, I'm home. This, this is, this is my tribe, you know, and there was like a yoga class in the morning and there was a, there was a class on conscious conception and there was a class on, um, you know, um, muscle testing. And then there was a class on, um, you know, nutrition and nutritional IVs and all these things. And I really felt like, so I was kind of lucky because I, I went into residence, I went into residency already open-minded and kind of wanting more of those experiences and going to those conferences and having these two very different models that I grew up with. Um, and, uh, and I, I had to kind of discover for myself who I really was. And so right out of residency, I started practicing holistic medicine. I, I worked in um, a rural clinic in Ohio for 10 years called Trillium Health Center. We were in Lancaster, Ohio, and I would do maybe 20% of my patients, I would do hands-on osteopathic manipulation. I treated farmers with back pain, or one guy came in with like a rotator cuff tape because he had just clipped the wings on 30 ducks and like, uh, and also treated coronary artery disease for some of the diabetics and people overweight with um, IV chelation therapy, which we were actually part of a national trial. And that was kind of a big deal and rare back then. I, I had one, one foot being a big kind of risk taker and another foot and being a little bit more traditional family practice. And I was fortunate enough that I got a salary pay and it just kind of landed in my lap. So in, in the first three years, I paid off all my med school debt and um, I would even have days where I would take a nap at the office. <laughs> like, so I was really lucky, but I felt, I feel like I kind of went into medicine knowing that I wasn't in a cage. Like I knew because I'd spent time with other doctors that you could work outside of the box and you could think outside of the box. And then I moved to California 12 years ago and um, was partially because of a relationship. I was engaged at the time, but also because I love California and I, I wanted to be in the nature out here and in the kind of the mindset. And it was very, very different because even though you think, well, wouldn't it be easy to go to California because it's a lot more accepting of integrative and holistic health, it was like kind of like arriving in the Mecca. And I tell people, if you want to practice holistic medicine in the California Bay Area, it's like opening up a restaurant in New York City. You're either going to, you know, you're going to sink or you're going to float. And you've got to be really, really, really good at what you do because there's, there's a lot of people in this area, you know, people who were my teachers or whose book I read, 
So all of a sudden I was kind of like in the, in the Mecca and, um, and over the course of 12 years, I, uh, there's the ability to kind of create a niche here in California because there's so many people who do practice um, outside of the box. And so um, one of my niches has been, it's been a combination of um, intuition medicine and hyperbaric oxygen. So I'm actually medical director of hyperbaric oxygen facility and using that for the brain because um, oxygen is amazing for the brain for dementia, neurological conditions, um, as well as, you know, for the conditions that are covered by insurance. And, um, and so I've really evolved in the past 12 years and I feel um, like I'm really a master at what I do. And I'm, I'm an entrepreneur, which has its own stresses. You know, I'm not on any kind of salary, you know, if I don't make it happen. So I have a lot of freedom, but I also have some, you know, sometimes I think, oh, it'd be so nice just to, just to get a yearly salary and not have to like compete. And so it's interesting. I, I may have like a different story there with doctor, you know, like what it's like on the other side. And, um, but I will say this, that um, I have almost a hundred com percent compliance with my patients. I mean, I've patients who pay cash to come see you want to get better. And my patients usually have done a lot of research already. They're already, they're already at a certain level of health and they're really dedicated. And um, so compliance is never anything I've ever had to deal with. And um, it's been a long journey of learning. I, I didn't have children. I actually never wanted to have children. That's kind of maybe part, part of the reason I went into medicine and I'm at peace with that. But I used to go to one conference a month for 10 years. Every single month I was gone learning and learning all weekend, you know, 8 a.m. until 6 p.m. So it was a lot of like additional learning. And of course, I paid for all those conferences. I think I paid um, probably about $200,000 in total for conferences over the course of, you know, 15, 20 years to gather and learn. But I loved I've loved it, you know, and, um, and it's, uh, it's still a learning and growing path. And so I'll pause because I've said a lot. <laughs> no <laughs> worries. I did not want to jump in on your story because I'm like, where's yeah. she going to go next with this? Yeah. No, I a love lot. it because you, you are giving, um, a very unique perspective of coming in as a second career to medicine. Um, that I almost envy because you, you had like the street cred, you already had some, some life experience before heading into a career in medicine. And we were talking before the recording about how, you know, I'm, I'm so proud to be a DO and just the differences that we do. And I love, uh, that you talk about with your holistic and your integrative medicine, because you were kind of like a forefront to what we're now seeing becoming mainstreams, mm -hmm. particularly here in the Midwest. Like I'm amazed that you did that in Ohio because I'm thinking in Indiana, the same thing, it's the same culture. Mm -hmm. um, so I love it. No. And that's why I couldn't interrupt you because it was just such a fascinating story. And so thank you so much for sharing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're welcome. You're welcome. And the word you picked today is wisdom. Tell me why you picked that one. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's really kind of the larger context of health and healing. And when I went into medicine, 
you know, because I really, I really loved being a healer in part and encouraging people and being um, like a proactive supporter for them to make the best choices. That was the aspect of medicine that to me was fascinating. It wasn't the pharmacology. It wasn't the, you know, differential diagnosis or the obscure, bizarre diseases that you could figure out. Um, and I, I really always strive to put the power back into the patient. So sometimes I feel like in medicine, we disempower people. We say, you know, you either take this medicine or you're not going to get better. Or in some places, I've even seen patients who've been traumatized by the medical profession and by doctors. They've been made to feel bad. They've been made to feel wrong. And um, when you really look at things like and as known as diet, exercise, sleep, and stress balance, that's, that probably takes care of almost 80% of our disease states. And so wisdom is really about somebody's higher truth. And wisdom has led me profoundly in some of the, the best decisions I've ever made. And so I, I, what I try to do is I try to strengthen first, someone usually comes to you because they're either in pain or they're exhausted, you know, they're not able to function well. So first I try to get them to start feeling better by supporting their system naturally, supporting their adrenals, helping shift their diet, even giving them nutraceuticals that are actually going to give them energy, give them cognitive energy for their brain or energy for their adrenals. Um, but then I, then I try to get them back in balance with their life and kind of like almost like reprioritizing your life. And, um, and I, I'm always sort of asking in the back of my mind, like, why does this person really have this illness? You know, so um, with natural medicine or integrative medicine, um, we tend to see people um, that have over 30 symptoms and they've been to five other doctors. They have multiple diagnoses. We see like the simple bladder infection, cough, cold. I rarely see that when I do. I'm like, yay, it's just a simple little thing. But you know, usually I'm, I'm not the acute care doctor. I'm like the more long-term. And so I, I, I sometimes think that patients aren't used to thinking that they could be empowered you know, they, they're, they've almost been trained to think of just the quick fix. But I'm always listening in the back, what's really going on here. So I want to like give you an example of that. Um, I had a patient once who, um, she came in with a sinus infection and, um, and she was really sick. And I, and she kept seeing me repeatedly for these sinus infections. And I sort of asked, you know, well, what's going on? And she said, well, my husband lost his job. And so I'm having to go back to work and I have a young child and I don't feel like now I don't feel like I'm a good mom. I don't feel like I'm a good, like I have enough energy and focus at work. And I also don't feel like I'm a good wife. So I don't, so quickly she was incredibly resentful and the sinuses can be suppressed tears or anger. So I told her that. And I did, a, um, I did an osteopathic treatment to open up her sinuses. And then I did something called neural integration, which is like balancing 
your emotions. And then I gave her an herb called andrographis, which is really good for the sinuses. And I didn't see her, you know, and she wrote me like a letter six weeks later and she said, my whole life has changed. You know, thanks to you, I was able to create a career path that powered me, also allowed me to be balanced. So I could be a good wife and a mom and I could create my own hours. And she really like shifted. And, and so it's like, you know, oftentimes disease really has a message for the person. And um, from a healer's perspective, we want to support the person in getting that deeper message. Sometimes it's just like you've been going too fast for too long and you just need to, you just need to stop, you know? And so it's really important, you know, because we're in an extremely, as a doctor, you're in an extremely kind of sacred place. You're in a place of tremendous influence that could provide something quite pivotal for that person and so i'm i'm always kind of tuning in with like what's what's the wisest thing to do here and also it's that balance of not overwhelming the patient you know sometimes i'm like oh, okay i could tell them five different things they need to do with their diet right now i just get i just see that they just need to cry and they just need to offload their overwhelm and I'm just going to give them one little simple thing to do and have them come back in three weeks. And then I'll give them a little bit more. But, you know, I used to not do that. I would give them everything I knew and they would not come back because they were overwhelmed, you know. So it's also like energetically kind of like meeting somebody where they're at. And those to me are all aspects of a, of a kind of like a higher intelligence, a wiser self um, that's been going on probably for centuries in the field of, of healing um, and the healing arts. And so I always want to keep that in part of the doctor-patient relationship. Absolutely. I know that that's what changed in my own practice when I started disassociating myself from the outcome. And, and like you said, mm -hmm. when I really, instead of me being the power holder, it was recognizing that the patient is the power holder and I am simply here to be their support. And like you said too, so beautifully, like just meeting them where they're at is mm -hmm. powerful. You know, getting so, down on the floor with that kid, you know, because he doesn't want to sit on the exam table because he's scared and he's had some trauma in the past, you know, like with that and or meeting that elderly gentleman who can't get out of the wheelchair, you know, and I think that's where so many doctors, we've got disillusioned as a career path because there's been so many things that have become between us and our patients. And I think it's so beautiful mm -hmm. how you describe your practice. And I can just hear in your voice, the, the empathy and the love for the people that you're serving. Mm. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. It's really an honor. It's such an honor. And so the other thing that I've done is um, I got my master's in intuition medicine, which was a two and a half year program. And I did that about six years ago. And I graduated maybe four years ago. And I'm now a part-time professor there. And, um, and so I, when I first had episodes of intuition, I would sometimes like, and maybe some of you who are listening can relate, you know, I would think of a patient first thing in the morning, I would just, oh, the man, the bald man, and I would get to the office and I would have a message like such and such patient wants you to call them immediately. You know, so my intuition started telling me things. Um, 
The most powerful intuitions were actually about three, three deaths. Um, one was the death of my best friend when she was 33 of bladder cancer. And I had a dream about 5.30 and she died at, on May 30th. Um, and another was a, a friend who was in residency and she had a common bile duct stone um, that she had an ERCP and it released a saddle, created a saddle binary embolism that killed her instantly. It was like very, very bizarre. Okay. And um, when I, the night before I went to her memorial, I had a dream. And when I, in the dream, there was a phone ringing and I picked up the phone and it was her, it was her voice. And the dream was so lucid that I dropped the phone because I was like, oh my God, like, like I'm hearing her voice. And she was like, is that you? Is that you? And she's like, yeah, it's me. And she sounded really happy. And she said, call me back, call me back. And she left me this phone number. And I remembered the area code and all eight digits. So, you know, it's, most people can't remember more than seven digits in a row randomly. So I woke up, I had the number completely memorized. The next day I went to her memorial and I told her sister, I said, I had a dream about your sister. And she goes, oh my God, you have to tell me because we've been wanting contact with her to know she's okay. And I said, her voice was incredibly cheerful. And she said, would you do me a favor? And because and, we're really you know, inundated right now with everyone, but would you call her mother and tell her this story? And I said, sure, what's her mother's number? And it was the exact same number. You know, so I had these really wild, you know, and I could tell you like two more things that were like incredibly accurate. So I knew that I had this um, intuition around some pretty intense situations like death and they were kind of preparing me. So it wasn't as much of a shock. Um, and, um, and so I went to the Academy of Intuition Medicine as a result. And then I realized that, um, you know, we all have a second sight. We all have a, an intuitive ability. It's in our, it comes from your meditation sanctuary from inside the brain, the pineal, and, the, and, and I've actually studied those rods and cones in the pineal gland that look similar to the rods and cones in your eyes. So it's like literally when they say your third eye is here, it's, it's relatively true. It's not here between your eyebrows. It's more like deep in the brain. Um, but um, I, I started getting more, I was able to kind of switch on my intuition and switch it off rather than have it be totally random, you know, like a, just a random dream. And I started um, seeing the energetic anatomy of somebody so i started seeing like their chakras and seeing their auric field and i started doing healings so the first healing i ever did was in my office this guy came in with um shoulder pain and he'd been an orthopedic surgeon he had a chromioclavicular like tendonitis and he couldn't put on it he couldn't extend and put on a jacket and I did my osteopathic manipulation and it didn't do anything. And he said, I'm still in pain. And he even had a steroid shot. And I said, look, I just learned this energy medicine stuff. Can I just try it on you? And um, I put my hands over his clavicle area and I saw that um, he had just changed professions. He went by becoming a, from an accountant to becoming a massage therapist. And he was very compassionate. And I saw that all this light wanted to come in through his wisdom center and come down his arms but he was it was getting jammed here because he couldn't um 
he was sort of blocking it because of the um, the in interaction with the patient and not letting it flow. And I opened that up and then all his pain was gone and it never came back. It was like 100% gone. So it was really amazing. And I can't, you know, not everyone's like that. But what I did is I started a like a side practice. So on Monday afternoons, I treat like maybe three people a week out of, out of I have a little annex home and it's in the woods and I do my little treatments there. And, um, and then I also kind of incorporated a little bit with the osteopathy, but I don't always say a lot because people aren't necessarily coming for that, but you know, but I'll say like, oh, I, you know, I, I get images, you know, like I get images of people, um, like I had one image, I had a patient get, um, she was in a car accident. She actually had a cerebellum stroke. So she actually, even though it's just flash, she actually had a cranial bleed. She was in a dark room for seven weeks, unable to take care of her three-year-old child. And, and it was her, it wasn't like a normal whiplash recovery. So she finally was like, I had an MRI of her brain and she was an ICU nurse and um, they found this cerebral bleed. And then she came to me and we were doing the hyperbaric oxygen and I was putting my hands on her and I said to her, I had this image of her carrying a cross when I put my hands on her head. And I said, you're carrying a really heavy cross. What would it be like if you put that down, that burden? She just burst into tears. And um, you know, the cross for her was about her job as an ICU nurse, because she was running codes and it was super intense and she was trying to save lives. And, and, you know, now she, she was a mother of a three-year-old and I, and so now she's changed careers. She works in anesthesiology. <laughs> it's a lot less intense, but you know, that was that sort of realization. Like you don't have to try to save everybody, you know, like you can let the cross down, the burden of the cross down. And, and so all of that is, you know, this whole aspect of healing that comes from the intuitive self. And actually women are more able to be intuitive than men. Now it's, it's a hard thing to do. And some male doctors even naturally use their intuition. Like sometimes I'll get a certain name of an herb or a medicine that comes like immediately to me. And that's the one I go with, you know, or I have a sort of like a gut feeling. Um, but I think that um, those messages are really important. I think so too. And in, you know, our Western medicine culture, it's something we've neglected for a while, but I've loved to hear you talk about it. I think it's something that we, we shouldn't just dabble with, that we should recognize that there's maybe more to this than what we think. So, Absolutely. well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. This yeah. is going to just, I think, blow people's socks off. If my listeners are like, oh my God, like me, like thinking of stories where things have happened or they want to know more about your style of practice. Maybe they're close. Where can they contact you, hang out with you, find out more about you? Yeah. So one is they could email me or make a free 10 minute phone consult through my website, which is actually my first name. It's www drjacqueline.com with no period. So it's D-R Jacqueline, J-A-C-Q-U-E-L-I-N-E.com. Perfect. And, um, and I also offer an online class called Soul Anatomy 
for CEUs. Um, so if anyone uh, want, wants their nurse to study it who, who, who needs CEUs or their therapist, um, but I actually teach like the foundations of intuition medicine and it's through the Energy Medicine University and it's in September. Perfect. It's like a three-month class, and I give reading assignments and books, and there's like a little midterm exam, and um, I have slides, and I go through the whole kind of process of how to not only just use your own intuition better, but also if you're really empathic, how to not have burnout, because that's the other thing is if you're really, as you know, like most of us actually get hardened during med school, and we harden as a like a survival strategy, because if you like took in everything, you would just be a mess of tears at the end of the day, every day. So we sort of harden, but there's a way that you can still keep your compassion open and yet still be healthy and not be so affected by what you see throughout the day without shutting down your heart. You Beautiful. Know? So, I will put that all in the show notes and then definitely we'll all have to get in and learn so much more because <laughs> it's been a process yeah. myself. Um, yeah. learning to take down those walls and to soften, but yet also have healthy barriers in place so that you don't have energy leaks right. or you don't get the, you know, emotional surges from others. So I'm so glad that you're doing this work. Thank you so much yeah, again for coming on. Thank you so much. Thank you. a fun conversation with Dr. Chan. I always enjoy talking with colleagues who have a different perspective in me, something I hadn't really even considered. And hell, she's a fellow DO, so we get to reminisce in that. So thank you so much, Dr. Chan, for coming and sharing your wisdom with us. You know, the one question that I want to pull out that I heard her say is, what's the wisest thing to do here? Many times when I'm working with clients around transitions or what they want in life or just getting away from that stuck feeling, I will ask them after they say a couple sentences, paragraph, whatever, when they're talking through possibilities, how does that make you feel? And recently I was talking with a client who said, I need to do the most logical, wisest thing. And then I asked for clarification and said, what does that mean to you? Because I think it's really important that what we term as wise may be wisdom for ourselves or it may be external wisdom for the environment around us. But unless we take the time to sit back and analyze it, we may perhaps miss it altogether. So sit with that question for yourself in any situation this week and think, what's the wisest thing to do here? And does it align with me? I hope that you're leaving encouraged and inspired and with a little bit more fun and freedom in your life. I have to give a special shout out to my podcasting producer who helped me get this podcast going. The fabulous, the wonderful Jen Eads in Indianapolis, Indiana. I also want to give a shout out to all of you who have helped to support this podcast and to just send me words of encouragement. We've hit over 10,000 downloads and I couldn't have done it without you. And also to you out there listening right now, remember, your life, your calling, your pulse matters. Mm-hmm.